Today, we're going to conclude a Bible study that we've been doing on Sunday mornings uh, through the Gospel of John. We actually started this study back at the, the very end of August. And so for a number of months now, we've been trying our best through uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit as we open our hearts to Scripture to see what John wants us to see clearly about Jesus, about his life, about his, his ministry, about his death, and about his resurrection. And as we get closer and closer to the end of John's journey, uh, we're here at John chapter 21 this morning, we find that that Jesus' closest friends and followers are struggling to know exactly how to relate to him after the resurrection. You know, he doesn't just come walking through the door like he used to. Uh, He suddenly appears. And when he does appear, it's always difficult for them to recognize that it's him. And then by the time they recognize that it's him, uh, he almost always disappears. You know, it's, it's one thing to try to follow Jesus uh, when, when what we're focusing on is his teaching. Or, or when they first agreed to be his followers, when he walked up alongside of the, the Sea of Galilee and called them. You know, they, they had a sense of he's this Jewish teacher and he's trying to instruct them in a way of life. But, but now... In in his resurrection life, it just seems like, how is an ordinary person supposed to follow someone who can appear and disappear at will and show up at different places and at different times? And it's just, it's, it's frustrating and it's challenging and it's exhausting. And so Peter reaches a place where he's just had enough. He, he doesn't know what to do next. He, he doesn't know what the future with Jesus is, is supposed to hold for him. And so instead of focusing on the future, he kind of goes back to the past. Peter, Nathaniel, Thomas, James and John, and, and some of the other disciples, they all agree, you know what? Let's go back to fishing. It's what we did before Jesus came walking into our lives and called us into something else, something bigger than ourselves. But before Jesus called us into this mission to seek and save the lost, we were fishermen. We knew how to, how to fish. We knew, we knew what we were doing. Let's go back to something we know how to do. And you know, I, th- I think we can all relate to that. When we, we go through something that's disorienting and unsettling, we, we long to be back in a situation where, where we kind of know how the rules work and, and we know what we're supposed to do. And, and maybe we, we have a sense that we're pretty good at it. So here they are, fishing. They fish all night. They don't end up catching anything. Which means, of course, that trying to go back to the one thing that they felt like they knew how to do well, well, it's not really working out that way. And, and you have to think that as much as, you know, anybody who's fished before, all of us know, you, you can try your hardest, you can use the same bait you always use, you can go to the same fishing spot you always go to, and you may not catch anything. I mean, that's just part of the risk you take when you go fishing. But you have to think that this particular moment in their lives, this night where they can't, they can't catch anything, it has to be about more than just the fish. It has to cause them to question, who are they going to be now if they're not even able to go back to their old way of life? Like what, what kind of future do they have? And it's at that point that I want us to open up to John chapter 21 together. Let's start reading in verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, 
They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. So this stranger walks up and asks them what has to be the most annoying question you can ask a group of professional fishermen when they've tried all night long and they've, they've come up empty. Have you caught anything? And you got to give them credit for telling the truth, right? No, we haven't caught anything. It's been a rough night. And then the stranger asks what has to be the second most annoying question, which is, well, have you tried to fish in a slightly different way or in a slightly different place than you've tried fishing all night long? Right? Jesus says, have you tried the right side of the boat? And again, you got to give them credit. They do what, what Jesus asks them to do even before they realize that it's him standing on the beach. And the moment they do, they're brought back to, to these moments in, in their life with Jesus where something miraculous starts to take place and it helps them see what they couldn't see just moments before. And as soon as these fish start to fill their nets, John always calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. John realizes who it is. And he says, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter hears it, he jumps, he can't wait. He jumps in the water, he swims to shore. The others have to kind of come up behind him. And, and Jesus invites them to share a meal. He says, let's, let's have some breakfast. Throughout Jesus's life and ministry, he has this habit of inviting people into meal times, meal experiences that are never just about the food. It's always about who you're gathering together with. And, and that is something that I think we all know, but, but at times we forget it because, brothers and sisters, I, I think we know how, how busy we are sometimes and how we can constantly feel like we're, you know, we're running five minutes behind and we're running from this place to that place. And so there are many meals in the course of my day that I end up just eating as fast as I can, sometimes by myself, sometimes when I'm in the car, uh, sometimes when I'm answering emails, sometimes when I, I'm catching a few minutes of, of, of television, whatever it is, I'm distracted. And oftentimes I'm alone and I'm not gathering really together around a meal, a meal time, a meal experience with anybody else. I'm just eating to stay alive. But Jesus has this this perspective on the space that meals can create if we're intentional about it, if we're open to, to stepping into that, that moment where we realize that we don't only just need food to stay alive, but we need each other to stay alive. And, and when we share meals together, and, and I have to, to say that, that throughout this, this pandemic, 
One of the most difficult things has been having to go uh, days, weeks maybe, without having any kind of meal with somebody else, certainly not somebody outside of, of my household or someone outside of, of the people I work with, uh, just, just having to kind of settle for the, the reality that because of what we're going through right now, uh, that kind of experience is mostly going to have to wait. And it, it starts to wear on you, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it started to wear on me. I, I miss the, the meals that I used to get to share with other people, people in this church family. And, and as we think about feasting together around the Lord's table this morning, this, this is a meal Jesus invites us to, just like he said to them, let's have breakfast. He's saying to us, let's, let's have a meal. Let's, let's be together. We, we have to do it through technology. We, we have to do it through, through this idea, this conviction that we can gather together in the Spirit, even if we can't actually be in the same room together. It's, it's this hunger that we have to be a part of, of something, to be a part of a community that's, well, it's, it's a place we know we belong. You know, we, we have an opportunity every time we share a meal. And again, I think we realize now more than ever the gift meal times can be. That, that we, can, we can share ourselves. That Just like Jesus shows as, as someone who's gone through death and resurrection, right? That he's at this breakfast to be fully alive and present. There's no other reason for him to be there. He wants to be present to his, his disciples and they need to be present to him and they need to be present to one another. I wish I knew exactly what kind of conversations they had. You know, I, I think about the conversations that, that we need to learn how to have if we're not already having them at our own meal times, where we, we open up and we share the, the things that are, are giving us hope right now. We share the things that are making life more challenging right now. We, we talk about freely about the things that keep us up at night. We, we talk about the things we're praying for. We, we ask someone at the table to, to pray for us, to, to join with us in prayer about something that, that means a lot to us or someone we care about who's, who's struggling and needs God's healing presence. When Jesus invites us to a meal, he always invites us as the host. It doesn't matter where it happens. He's the host. And it also doesn't matter where it happens, wherever that is, it's home. Because wherever Christ is and wherever Christ calls us, brothers and sisters, we're home. We belong there. We belong together. And, and we have a choice to make every time Jesus invites us, every single week. And, and more than just formal times of communion. But when Christ opens up possibilities for us to share not just food, but, but to share our souls with each other around a mealtime, we need to find the perspective it takes for us to really step into those moments and be there for one another. Because whether or not we realize it, we need it. We need Christ. And we need the family of faith that Christ makes possible. And so as we get ready together in just a moment to, to feast on, on the bread of Christ together, I hope that you think of, of the people in your lives, in your life, who, who you haven't been able to be around maybe for, for a long time, the, the people who you used to have meals with that you, you haven't been able to have a meal with, the, the people in this place, in this church family, 
who you sometimes look at across the way when we're taking communion. I want you to hold those people in your hearts. I want you to hold them up to God. Because brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, when we have opportunities to open our lives to one another around a meal, holy, sacred things happen. Jesus happens. Christ unfolds among us. And we find that we're made more like him. Let's pray together. God, as we prepare to take uh, this bread that represents to us the body, the life, the presence of your son. We pray that you would help us to not only feast on that presence, but, but to find a way to embody it, to be Christ to one another, to invite our fellow sisters and brothers into our lives so that we can share not only in this meal, but we can share in all the things that matter most. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we continue focusing on this, these last few verses of John chapter 21, I want us to pick up the story again, this time in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and turned over to the authorities. Peter was interrogated. He was asked more than once by various people in an angry crowd, aren't you one of his followers? You know, don't you know this Jesus of Nazareth really well? And each time that Peter was asked that question, He denied it. Three times, in fact, Peter denied Christ. Denied knowing him, denied having a relationship with him. And you know, it seems to me that 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 had to change the way Peter felt about the prospect of Jesus having been resurrected from the dead. Because the last thing Jesus would have would have really wanted Peter to ever do was deny their relationship. And, and yet Jesus had warned Peter that that was, that was going to happen, that, that Peter was going to get scared enough and threatened enough and worried enough that he, he was going to say he, he didn't have anything to do with Jesus. And that's the last thing during Jesus' life before the cross that Peter really does. He fails Not once, three times he fails. 
And you know, when he hears that Jesus is back from the dead, there had to be a part of of Peter that was really, really anxious and nervous about what Jesus was going to say to him. You know, how Jesus was going to treat him. And Jesus had, had faced death. He had faced shame. He had had the courage to go a place that Peter didn't have the courage to follow. And I have to think that part of the reason that Peter wanted to go fish was, you know, he wasn't going to just sit around and wait for Jesus to, to show up and call him on his mistakes or possibly embarrass him or bring him shame in front of fellow disciples and followers who, even though they didn't really have the courage to stand around and stay close to Jesus during his trials and his crucifixion either, Peter was, Peter was the one who had denied Jesus three times. And that has to be why Jesus then asks Peter three times, do you love me? It is rare in life when we make a mistake that the person that we have hurt through our mistake gives us the opportunity to undo it. You know, it's, it's one thing to apologize. It's, it's one thing for the person to try to get over what, what we've done to them because of a mistake we've made. But, you know, Peter, Peter made the same mistake three times. And it's, it's not like Jesus just gives him some conversation where there's a confrontation and Jesus talks about how disappointed in Peter he is and, and tries to get Peter to, to promise he'll never make a mistake. That's not what takes place here. Jesus, who embodies both grace and truth, he wants Peter to understand that because of grace, the truth is God allows us to undo our failures. So for the three times that, that Peter said he didn't know Christ, three times Jesus says, do you love me? And you could tell Peter's tender because when Jesus asks that third time, John tells us it hurt Peter's feelings. Right? That, that obvious connection between his three denials and Jesus asking three times. And, and yet, what's interesting to me is, you know, you, you might think that this is a conversation that's primarily about Peter's love for Jesus. I mean, that's what the questions are, right? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But this, this whole moment, this experience is not really about Peter's love for Jesus. It's about Jesus's love for Peter. He doesn't want Peter to, to live the rest of his life in regret. He doesn't want Peter to have to be haunted by those three moments of failure. He wants to replace them with three moments that open up a new future beyond that regret. And as Jesus talks about the nature of, of the love God has for us and the way that we, as Peter, right? Peter gets this opportunity to express that love back in words. Jesus's response is, Peter, if you love me, love my sheep. Care for my sheep. Take care of, of my, my flock, Peter. If, if you want me to know how much you care for me, take care of them, This is nothing new. Throughout all of Scripture, we are told time and again that the best way for us to show our love for God is in how we treat our fellow human beings, how we treat the people that that God has given us in our lives. And so when 
Peter says, I love you. Jesus says, love them. Take care of them. And then he talks about Peter having to to suffer later in his life, having to to go through things that, that he wouldn't choose on his own, being led places he probably wouldn't ever go on his own. And then after telling Peter the the difficult truth about what that future is going to hold for, for, for Peter, Jesus, in addition to giving him these three opportunities to undo his three betrayals, Jesus offers the same invitation to Peter that he offered at the very beginning of their relationship. Follow me. I love the fact that Jesus goes back to the beginning. I love the, the fact that, that he gives Peter a sense that, you know, he, he believes in him. Even though Peter has been far from perfect and he's, he's made all kinds of mistakes. And it's not just the three denials. There's been other times that Peter's lost his way. I mean, Peter's the one who said, let's go back to fishing. You know, Peter may be the, the disciple on that beach who's the closest to giving up altogether. Jesus finds a way to to assure Peter that he doesn't just love him. He loves him with hope. He believes in him. Even if Peter can't believe in himself, Jesus believes in Peter. He he trusts him. He's going to depend on him. And, And that had to have meant the world to Peter. And I think if we're honest, it means the world to us to know that we are loved by, by a God who sees past our mistakes and allows us to undo those mistakes, to not live lives that are marked by regret or shame or fear of embarrassment. And on top of all of that, knowing our track records and knowing that we, we, we always have these times where we stumble and fall, Jesus looks at us the same way he looks at Peter and he says, I love you with hope. I think of, of the Apostle Paul's description of love, of his patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, doesn't proud, it's not rude, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, right? It goes on and on. But at some point, Paul says, it always protects, it always hopes, it always trusts, it always perseveres. Jesus on the beach, he loves Peter with hope. And he loves you and I with that same hope. And look at what Peter's able to do in the wake of this. If you know anything at all about Acts and and what happens in Peter's life, he becomes the first of all the disciples to find the courage on the day of Pentecost to stand up and tell his own, his sense of the truth of who Jesus really was and is and and what God was trying to accomplish through Jesus, the truth of the gospel. He he ends up becoming a foundation for the church, not just in that sermon, but but throughout the founding of the church, he, he's the, the leader that people keep coming to, especially at the beginning. He ends up helping to write two letters in the New Testament. Peter does all of these things, not because Peter believes in himself, but because Jesus loves Peter in a way that believes in Peter. Brothers and sisters, I don't, I don't want us to simply receive that kind of love from Jesus. Because Peter didn't only receive that love from Jesus. Peter learned how to live that love too. He learned how to love with hope. He, he learned how to not allow past mistakes to, to completely limit someone else's future. And in church, as a family, if, if we're going to love one another, 
Let's find a way to believe in one another, to, to believe in one another the same way Jesus believes in every single one of us. And when we find a way to do that, we're, we're going to have the experience that Peter has on that beach 2,000 years ago. And it is the conviction that, that whatever our, our past experiences have been, however far we think we've come in our journey of faith, we're just getting started. As we take together this cup of blessing that represents Jesus' blood, may we hold on to the reality that Jesus shed that blood so that he could truly love us with hope and so that we could love one another with that same hope. Let's pray together now. God, we thank you so much for the example that Christ is to us of just seeing the possibilities, seeing the the amazing future that each one of us can have because of you. Help us find a way to to encourage each other, to to look long enough through the eyes of love to, to see what it is you want us to see in our fellow brothers and sisters that will help us always persevere and always trust and always hold on to one another. God, we thank you for the futures that you give us that only you can make possible. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, when when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. Jesus' response is, well, then take care of my sheep. And as we continue to be gathered around this sacred mealtime, we have that same opportunity. And and I think when we say to, to God, We love you, God. God's response to us every single time is, well, then take care of my sheep. Do whatever you can to to help them know that I love them and I care for them. And that's, that's the opportunity we have every week when we come to this place in our worship service where we're, we're given the opportunity to give. We're really being given the opportunity to, to follow in the footsteps of Peter in feeding God's sheep. And so I hope we see it that way, that it's a part of our discipleship. And I want to take just a moment to thank this church family. Throughout one of the the most unsettling, uncertain years in, in most of our lifetimes, you have, as a church family, you've continued to be financially generous in ways that have just blown me away. And, and the same is true for our other ministers and our elders. We are so thankful for your steadfast acts of generosity. It helps us see that you understand that the best way we can show our love for God is is to love sacrificially other people, to do whatever we can to help them. Uh, And and so I just, I want to thank you. I want to encourage you to finish strong in this year. Uh, There's still time uh, to do some year-end giving. And so if that's something that you're intending to do, uh, we have just a few days left. But make sure that you, you mail those, those gifts to our church office. We'll make sure that, uh, that we collect those. And, and we just, again, we're, we're so thankful for this partnership and generosity, this partnership in the gospel that God has given us. And, and I just pray that God will continue to bless us as individuals and as families who belong to this larger church family. That God will bless us so that we can continue to bless others. So that we can continue to be people whose lives are, are marked by generosity. Uh, 
I also want to take a moment to remind the kids that our kids offering uh, is still going to the Griggs and, and their ministry to uh, families there in San Antonio. And so uh, as you think about giving, uh, this becomes an opportunity for you to partner, to be just like Peter and to help God feed sheep in, in a city uh, that's, that's, you know, not just right in our backyard, um, but filled with people whom God loves. And, and we want to be a part of that. So I want to encourage you kids, if you haven't uh, gotten the, the money together yet, take a minute to do that right now. And again, for those of us who are giving online, just make sure that you go to sohillschurch.org slash give uh, and, and just give uh, as, as God has, has blessed you. Give in the same way um, that God gives to us. Let's pray together now. God, we thank you for the ways that you watch over us, for the ways that you, you bless us so that we can bless others. We, we love being a part of that. We, we love getting to participate in, in what you're doing to help reach people with the good news of the gospel, whether that's through someone teaching them from your word or whether that's somebody making sure they have enough food to eat or they have uh, warm clothes to wear or, or they have a safe place to sleep. God, all of that is your redemptive work and we are, we're so blessed to be able to be a part of that. So please help us. Give us, give us not only the, the resources we need, but help open the eyes of our souls so that we can see those opportunities as they unfold in front of us. Bless this church family so that we can help serve other people, especially right here in Abilene, God, and in San Antonio with the Griggs church family. Just help, help all of us be living representations of your care and your compassion. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.